You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. And welcome to the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, pop culture, and all that other good stuff that the kids like nowadays. Uh, I've got a little bit of extra time for an intro today, so I'm going to talk a little bit tonight. And I realize that by the time most of you hear this, tonight will be yesterday or perhaps even further in the past. But I will be hosting WrestlingWithPopCulture.com's Culture Shock which is a massive wrestling, music, and carnival sideshow event. We've got Captain Stab, Tuggo, and Maybell will be doing a sword swallowing and testicle piercing and whatever other kind of crazy stuff they do. We've got a bunch of wrestling matches from AWE, Roar, and MCW. It's going to be great fun, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because most of you uh, will have missed it by the time you hear this. Uh, the rest of the weekend, I will be at Joe Lanta and the Great Atlanta Toy Convention, which you can read about at joelanta.org. 2 o'clock p.m. on Sunday, I will be putting on a Needless Things toy panel uh, called Characters in Toys, which is about licensing in the toy world. I think it'll be pretty fun. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't done a panel in a long time. I haven't done anything in a long time, so this is a big weekend. I'm really excited. And then Saturday night, uh, which will be March the 14th, Saturday night, uh, we'll be hosting, well, not hosting, I'll be introducing Radio Cult, which I'm really excited because I haven't seen them perform as a full band before, and I'm really super excited about it. So that's going to be awesome, too. Lots of stuff going on this weekend, which, again, you guys probably missed. But what you're not going to miss is today's interview with James Bickert, the director of Dear God No, and also soon to be the director of Frankenstein Created Bikers. Go to Kickstarter, look up Frankenstein Created Bikers, and check it out. Go to the Needless Things Amazon store and pick up a copy of Dear God No, and you'll be happy. You'll thank me, unless, unless you've got a weak stomach. Or unless you're not a fan of awesome, culty, horrific things. Because it's pretty rough. Like, I've seen a lot of stuff. And Dear God knows, pretty rough. I got to see it in a theater. But you'll hear all about that during the interview. Before I get to all that, I've got a few other things I want to talk about. I need to get out and perform more. I don't get to do it enough. And honestly, hosting a wrestling show isn't, isn't getting it done. I, I need to do something else. I need to talk. I need to perform. I need to actually do stuff as opposed to just going in the ring and, and introducing a guy or a couple of guys or whatever it is I do out there. Uh, certainly don't want to do raffles anymore because, <laughs> my gosh, if I never hear the word raffle again for the rest of my life, it'll be a delight because they are the worst. Uh, nothing grinds a wrestling show to a halt and kills the audience like stopping to give away a raffle prize. I think it's the worst thing you can do at a wrestling show. 
and I understand the need to make money for the promotion and whatever, but boy, is it awful. And, and you know me, I mean, I, I don't make money. <laughs> I don't. That's how foolish I am. This podcasting, the website, uh, doing panels, none of it makes me any money. I, if I feel lucky if I get paid anything for doing a wrestling gig, I do this stuff because I love it and because I need a break from my horrible day job. Uh, so, you know, the money thing doesn't really hold water for me. If you're killing the entertainment value of your product, then you're doing something bad. Uh, but, you know, that's not up to me. I don't run the show. I don't pay the bills. Uh, maybe it's a necessary evil. But I, I hate doing it, and I hate them, and the audience hates them, and I feel like there's got to be a better way. So, having said all that, uh, and, and uh, sorry, Jonathan, uh, having said all that, I need to find other venues. I don't know if I need to go to an open mic night or find some other. I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing the spoken word thing at Corey Byram's Iceberg. I'm not sure what's going on there. I know he's really busy. He's raising a family. He's, you know, I, I know all the stuff he's doing because I'm doing it too. So I, that may have fallen by the wayside, but I got to find something. So if you guys know of anything in the metro Atlanta area where a guy can get out and be entertaining, I'm open to suggestions. Drop me an email at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook, L Phantasmus with a PH. Shoot me a message on Twitter, Phantom Troublemaker. And of course, you can follow Needless Things in all those places as well. Just search for Needless Things and you'll find the Luchador mask hanging around. Which brings, brings me to other stuff. Namely, that you can find Needless Things on iTunes and Stitcher and NeedlessThingsSite.com. And the Needless Things podcast is part of the ESO Podcast Network, which you can find at ESOPodcast.com. So you can listen to this show in lots of different places. And if if you happen to cross it, I'm going to take this opportunity because I haven't done it. I don't know if I've ever done it, really, because I would imagine there are some people who listen to this show and maybe don't know the site. I think most people probably know the show from the site, but maybe you just found it on iTunes or something. Here's the deal. I go by the name Phantom Troublemaker. I am a writer. I am an entertainer. I run a website called Needless Things where it started off mostly as toy reviews, but now we have several writers that talk about movies and all kind, you know, pop culture, all kinds of pop culture. That's a, that's a catchphrase there. Uh, really anything, anything that, that we are interested in and feel like writing about, we'll put up on the site. We cover conventions, all kinds of stuff. So check the site out. But I also am the host for Monstrosity Championship Wrestling, which is wrestling with monsters. If you couldn't figure that one out, we take some of the best independent wrestlers from the Southeast area. We paint them up like Bigfoot and Dracula and send them out to fight and it's pretty incredible and we also have bands play hopefully we're going to be doing shows on a regular basis again uh we've got a few matches going on tonight but it is not an mcw show i'm just essentially i'm hosting it because i just need to get out and do something otherwise i don't know that i'd be there for for something featuring so many other talents which which it's going to be a great show but i would just be there maybe uh, and also, I do convention stuff. I show up and do toy panels. Uh, really, I'll do panels on anything uh, that I'm interested in. 
I just like to talk and entertain people, and I try and be as interactive as possible. That's why I like having guests on the podcast. Uh, if you've not heard any other episodes, uh, know that we cover Toy Fair. I have interviewed other directors, other artists, uh, go through our our back history, our archives, and see the names in there. There's some great bands that I've gotten to interviews, like, gotten to interviews uh, that I've been able to interview, like Calabrese and Les Sexoflex. Uh, very, lots of cool stuff I've been able to do in these 49 episodes. And it's, it's a fun time. And that's my main thing is I like to have fun with this stuff. This, this is, uh, this is what I enjoy doing. This is what I wish I could get paid for doing. And, and, you know, maybe someday I'll, I'll make enough to pay for the site. At least that would be nice. But, you know, that's me. That's what I do on the show. We, we just chat and have conversations. And I'll tell you right now. Uh, one of my biggest inspirations is Mark Marin. His podcast is a a big reason why I started my own, which I'm sure there are 800,000 guys out there who can say the same thing. Now, out of those 800,000 guys, I don't know how many have made it to 49 independent episodes. You know, that's probably something of an accomplishment, and I'm quite proud of it. But Mark Marin, big influence. Uh, Nerdist, not, not necessarily Chris Hardwick himself, but just the whole Nerdist thing. I enjoy what they do. And Dave Barry, as far as writing goes, Dave Barry is a writer that, that influenced me from, from a very early age. Uh, certainly I'm not as clever or as good with words as he is, but his style is certainly something I enjoy. And then, of course, uh, xentertainment.com, as far as the inspiration for starting my own website. X Entertainment, which is now Dinosaur Dracula, which I highly encourage you to go and check out. Uh, th these are all the things that I like. So if you like those things, maybe you'll like me too. So that's that's the intro. That's what I'm going to do today. I wasn't really sure when I sat down. I knew I was going to have a little bit more time to talk because this isn't one of our mega two-hour episodes. So that's it. That's that's the introduction to Phantom Troublemaker and to NeedlessThingsSite.com. So please check it all out. Check us out on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram. That's my favorite of my accounts right now because I like just putting up a picture, and it's it's very simple. There's nothing else to convey. There's the picture, and then you can put loads of hashtags on there so people can find it. I've gotten more followers and contacts through Instagram than I have through anything else. It's amazing how effective that is. But that whole picture is worth a million words. It, it holds true. Best form of communication, I think. So let's hope nobody fucks up Instagram anytime soon. Now it's time for the part of the show that is recently introduced and that I particularly like, and that is where I play music, usually from a local artist or not even local, an independent artist, because my whole thing now is I, I want to get the word out for bands that I think are really cool. I recently had some buddies of mine, the Casket Creatures, on the show. Their episode is coming up very soon. I've got a whole bank of episodes right now that I've really got to start editing and putting together. But but there have been some time-sensitive ones. Like today is time-sensitive because the Kickstarter ends March 28th. So i got to get this thing out there to give you guys the opportunity to go check it out. Frankenstein Created Bikers on Kickstarter. Uh, but anyway, today's music is from... James Bickert's uh, first big movie, Dear God No. Uh, it's from a great, great band called The 45s, and the song is called James Gang Bang, 
which I, I don't feel like I got the inflection on that right. James Gang Bang? James Gang Bang. I don't know which way to go on that. Maybe I can have the 45s on the show and they can explain it to me. Uh, but one way or the other, this is from the soundtrack for Dear God No, James Gang Bang. I like that one. That's good, right? We'll go with that. Enjoy. wasn't going to watch the because I'm on the Kickstarter site right now and I, I hadn't even watched the uh, the trailer you guys made yet because honestly I was like I don't need to see it I'm, I'm gonna back this and <laughs> I mean I, I didn't I didn't need to see the promotion for it it doesn't matter I saw dear God no and awesome. and just the name Frankenstein created bikers is that's enough. <laughs> you know, but but I decided I was like, well, maybe I'll be slightly, maybe I'll slightly do my job this time and watch this and be informed. And it's a it's a great trailer you you put together. I guess it's not a trailer; it's a uh, what yeah, was, it was a cans promo we put together. Okay, okay, yeah, it's yeah. because it's not. I mean, it's obviously nothing nothing to show from the movie yet, but it's you guys talking about oh oh that that. yeah yeah, yeah. we've got another uh trailer on there at the very end of our kickstarter that we did as a uh promotion that the foreign sales agent for dear god no took the cans to try to get pre-sales for frankenstein created bikers okay and we had shot it right after we did dear god no before the script was written or before we had a poster even and um yeah so there was some minor interest in but at the time they went to Cannes, cop action films were really big and selling <laughs> in the market. And so they actually had somebody say, well, can they make it less of a horror film and make it into like a cop buddy movie? <laughs> Seriously. Frankenstein, like, a, a, I'm not sure what they envisioned, like a Frankenstein and a, and a biker undercover or something. <laughs> I have no idea. Sure, why not? <laughs> Where'd you come from? Where'd you get your start? Um, yeah, so, um, you know, I kind of grew up in Augusta, Georgia, going to the drive-ins there and um, just had a love affair with, uh, you know, old uh, monster movies and um monster tv host and um then 
when I was down in Savannah, living on my own as a groundskeeper for a um, condominium complex on Tybee Island, I would just, after work, um, you know, just rent like three or four horror films or exploitation movies and, and watch them every single night. Uh, and that's when I just became a junkie for them and started driving all over the Southeast getting video memberships. <laughs> well, that, I, I mean, that used to be the way, man. I mean, I, I really, really miss the video stores and going in and looking at those VHS covers and not, not knowing a thing about what you were getting ready to rent other than, the insane cover that sometimes had nothing to do with the movie inside. Yeah, that was half the fun, is their pitch trying to get you to pull that thing off the shelf. Yeah. And, uh, man, I really miss that, too. There was there were so many good mom-and-pop stores, and I, I would, you know, I'd drive 90 miles if I heard, you know, there was a copy of Andy Warhol's Frankenstein at a place, you know. Right, right. And get a membership and then bring it back the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was just an obsession. And it was, uh, man, there was one really cool place in Statesboro, Georgia, that they had um, a big porn room with all these, you know, idols and for you paid a dollar and you got a key to your to the room <laughs> and i always thought that was really cool you know and hell there's only a handful of things i wanted to see but <laughs> it was still cool to have a key and have access to vhs tapes that nobody else could <laughs> you know, get to yeah that was always a, the weird and i hadn't, I hadn't thought about that but yeah the the when you went to the really the better mom and pop stores, they did always have that back room that was some, sometimes it was literally behind a curtain. Sometimes yeah. it was just a different section with like darker lighting. Yeah. And, and and there, like there's, kinda, always, there's always like a middle-aged guy and he's kind of standing by the, you know, curtain and he's like kind of looking around to make sure he doesn't know anybody. And then yeah. he ducks in. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, and when you're younger, you kind of walk by that that area, and you like kind of try and glance in. What's in there? What's happening yeah. in there? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that's where I first saw um, Cafe Flesh and Night Dreams, and those are just fantastic 35 millimeter porn movies. Yeah, and that and, I mean that stuff. How how long did that era last? Because, I mean, it seems like the, you know, video came in and changed everything, as as we oh, all yeah. saw, and it documented in Boogie Nights, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I think they say, you know, uh, Robin Bougie, who runs Cinema Sewer, would know this right off the top of his head. But I, I think from, like, 83 to 85 is when it really phased out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might have been a couple more up until 88, and then I think it's all kind of a renaissance again in the 90s uh, with just a couple directors. Um, uh, God, I can't even remember their names. But, yeah, it was, it was pretty much dead after 83. Um, I remember um, Chuck Vincent's roommates playing in um, mainstream 
movie theaters in like 1981. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was hardcore with Jamie Gillis and uh, Ron Jeremy and you know, and it had some pretty rough S and M stuff in it too. And uh, yeah, it, it was playing in a mainstream movie theater in Augusta, Georgia. Wow. Yeah, it's it's wild how how different things are. Like, I don't understand cultural shifts where certain things are so much more conservative and other things like seem to be relaxing a whole lot. It's really weird where our society's at right now. Oh yeah, like and I was watching uh that show Gotham the other night yeah. and uh Will Smith's wife plays that character Fish Mooney and she Dude. plucks out her plucks out her eyeball yes. and steps on it and I'm like holy shit this is like network television and <laughs> and, and we can't even see tits. Right. That's, I mean it's insane that you could sh- I mean that's I would say that's one of the most brutal things I've seen on TV. On, yeah. on just regular television. And, and, you know, I was surprised not a single person that I'm friends with on Facebook even mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, that well, and that's the thing is, I, I mean, everything that I watch now, I watch from the, the DVR because my work schedule is really weird. So every, I'm always watching I'm always watching stuff a couple of days behind, and that was my reaction. Like, after I got over being amazed that I'd just seen it, I was like, how did I not? How did that not get spoiled for me? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the top-rated television shows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you can show, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith mutilating herself, but you can't show, you know, a couple of people going at it. You know? Uh, that's bizarre. Yes, it really is. <laughs> um, and, uh CSI, but I've I've always heard that really pushes the envelope for network television. Yeah, the, a lot of the procedural shows. It's not really my bag, but like I I have heard that those get a little wild too. But you know, it's it's, it's crazy, man. But but as you're saying, like my first exposure to any of that stuff was through the magic of VHS. Although I can't say I ever set out on the journeys that you did <laughs> to track down the VHS. <laughs> You know, from that, I just went into uh, stuff off the gray market through mail order. And, uh, oh, man, when I uh, started going to college at uh, Georgia Southern University, I could um, check out 60-millimeter uh, projectors and uh, films. And so we had gotten a bunch of couches off the side of the road and set them up on cinder blocks to have, like, movie theater seating. And we just project like Fellini films, Bergman films, Boonwell films. I mean, it was, wow. we didn't give a shit what, what it was. But then, you know, we ended up getting a really good education in, uh, some really, you know, hell, I VHS copy of eight and a half back then was like 60, 70 bucks. And, uh, so it was really awesome just to be able to go to the library and check it out, spool it up and watch it in your living room. <laughs> so, so yeah, let me, let me ask you, that's interesting because, uh, you know, anytime you listen, cause I'm, I'm a big fan of commentaries. I'm a big fan of inter. 
And that's where we had an audio problem. So I'm going to fill you guys in on the question that I was asking James, and then he actually picks up from there. We we had the, the audio and the recording and everything else dropped out. So what I was asking was, I was saying I was a big, I'm a huge fan of commentaries and special features and all that kind of stuff. And, and anytime you hear directors, like for real good fans of film, talk about stuff they talk about like Bergman and Fellini and all that like weird shit that I can't ever seem to wrap my head around or find a desire to watch and I asked James I I basically I said what's the deal with that stuff and here is his response what I'm sure was an awesome reason um well I heard your question (laughs) And uh what I was going to say is, um, especially with, well, there's always been like a certain way you go about making film um, in terms of tone and plot and the, uh, especially with shots and the different ways they're uh, put together to, you know, tell a story. And so much of, the films in are subversive and especially eight and a half. The narrative in that is just insane. And where you've got this filmmaker that doesn't know what kind of film he's going to make and keeps going into daydreams about his life. And then, and that's what the whole movie's about. And he doesn't really discover what the movie's about until the very last scene of the movie. And so do you. And that's just, to me, I, I, it's just a new way of looking at things that I, you know, find really refreshing. And so much emphasis is always put on theme over plot and, um, that that's been a really big influence on me. What do you think it's important to see that stuff while you're younger? Cause as, as I'm getting older, I find that, you know, one time is obviously, an issue now, but I feel like things were able to sort of penetrate me a little bit better. And and I was a little more open to, to different new things. You're probably right. Like it's, it's much easier to digest when you're in your early twenties and smoking a lot of grass. (laughs) (laughs) The magic formula. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And plus, you know, it's, it's back then there, it was easier for me because, uh, you know, there, I think there were like, well, we didn't even have cable in college. So (laughs) what else was there to do? Right, right. Well, (laughs) it's like, if there wasn't a keg party going on, it was like, what the hell are we going to do? Study? Hell no. (laughs) Yeah. And that, well, and that's definitely a big part of it. Like now, when I'm, you know, even just going through Netflix or something, I I will look at, you know, all the movies that are on there. And I'm sure, you know, there are a ton of the movies that I've never heard of at all. I'm sure there are a ton that are good. But when I look at that stuff, I'm like, well, I can I can sit down and start to watch this thing that I'm not familiar with, that I don't know anything about. Or I can watch Texas Chainsaw again. Yeah. And I know <laughs> I know what Chainsaw is going to give me. I I know I'm comfortable with it. And I know it's going to be, I'm going to enjoy my time. Whereas taking a chance on something new, I, I feel like the older I get, the less likely I am to do that, which is kind of sad. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of stuck in. I'd rather watch something uh, from Indonesia with a flying head in it than <laughs> from the 70s than watch something, you know, that everybody's raving about that was made last year. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sickness. <laughs> Well, and it's you, uh, I guess going into Dear God No, how, how did that happen? Cause I, when I saw it, I, I feel like I was fortunate the way that I saw it. Uh, cause I, I'm in Atlanta, so I'm around, you know, I'm around you guys stomping grounds. Uh, right. but I saw it at that first Days of the Dead. So oh, okay. the audience that I saw it with, I think was, was opt, cause they were kind of from everywhere. It wasn't the Atlanta crowd. Right. Because a lot of times when you do stuff around here, there's that element of, because I, I, I do the wrestling with Shane, the MCW. Oh, right on. And there's a, there's a big part of that that's like, well, are we drawing a crowd or is this all Shane's buddies? And that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in any time you do something around Atlanta, there's that element of how much of this is just people I know, you know, showing up. And I think that that was a great place to see it because it was people from all over. It was a lot of people who hadn't seen it before. I hadn't seen it before, and being able to see it in the in a theatrical setting, you know, that wasn't a bad little auditorium we were in. No, they had some sound issues, but uh, that was all right. That almost that almost though went with the mood, you know. Like, like it almost sort of fit a little better. Like if it, had, if it had gone perfectly, it wouldn't have felt quite right for the, for the, uh, type of film that it is. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it blew me away. I mean, I really didn't know very much about it other than I knew a bunch of people that had worked on it. Uh, but the tone was impeccable. The music in particular and Richard, uh, oh yeah, Richard's phenomenal he uh he, i mean he did most of the tattoos that i have and i've known him for longer than i've known anybody and uh or any anybody in that that crew i guess and he i mean you guys really all hit the right notes what was your intent starting with that like did that start off as i'm going to make this sort of ultimate exploitation movie uh, what, what what were the roots of the of dear god no well, I made a lot of films prior to that, and then I had made one that got with a buddy of mine, Randy Hill, and we got screwed over by a distributor. And so I didn't make anything for quite a while because I was just so burnt on the um, distribution end of it. Then um, I was sitting around with Shane and a couple other guys, and... You know, we're just like, fuck it. Let's, let's, let's not worry about distribution or anything of that end. And, you know, and just make the most badass 70s exploitation film we can. And, um, yeah, so that, that was our whole mentality. And it was like nothing was off limits. And mm -hmm. we'll just try to make it as authentic looking and not be like, you know, Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have in jokes to that nature. So we had, you know, I made sure when I wrote it that there was no topical jokes, no, um, 
I mean, everything was just a straightforward. Um, the homages that are in it are so friggin' obscure. And we just, yeah, the tone was probably the most important thing in the underlying, you know, theme of, um, God, just what was the theme in that one? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I've been working on Frankenstein Korean bikers for so long and the, that theme. Uh, <laughs> oh, it was just, uh, oh, it was, um, right around that time, my wife wanted to, um, uh, have a, a baby and I was just terrified over it. Yeah. And so yeah. that's kind of reflected in all the dialogue and all the scenes. And, uh, and she conceived right when we were making the movie, I would come home exhausted and she would just rape me pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah. So that's, yeah. And so and next Next time you watch it, I think it'll, with that in mind, it'll be more apparent. I just had a really, you know, hidden. That's wild. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Cause really, I don't, uh, I'm a little jealous of anybody that went into it cold because it's very obvious. Like I said, that the, the, you guys got the tone, what you were going for. Uh, but I knew most of the people in it, so I didn't get that. Like, obviously, the way it's made is it's it could be plucked right out of the seventies. Yeah, it's uh, just the gores and the editing's a little fast. Well, it's a little faster pace, but other than that, yeah. If we, uh, uh, thank you, and um, yeah, we really strove for that. Like, you know that all those bikers they're sleeved out and we went out of our way to cover up their tattoos cause they just wouldn't fit the time yeah. period. Yeah. And, and well, and there's a, there's a note in, uh, when you look at the Kickstarter page, which actually let's, uh, I want to go ahead and make sure we mention that because that's, that's a big part of what we're doing today. Uh, kickstarter.com go there and just, if <laughs> you're not going to find more than one Frankenstein created bikers, <laughs> so uh so go and uh go to uh, listeners go check the page out look at it but one of the stated in uh things in there is you know w when you're looking for people you want people with without a lot of tattoos you you want you know or, or that can be easily covered up i mean you guys are very conscious of the era and what what fits with with what you're doing and it and that's you see so much stuff out there now, uh, where people just don't give a fuck about authenticity. Yeah. You know, what really took me out of grindhouse was when they were using cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> well, and see with that, you know, they made a decision and, and I think maybe it's what made those movies not quite as successful. They, they said, well, it's going to be a modern grindhouse movie. I, I really yeah. think that's just the conscious decision they made. And I don't think it was the right call because I, I, I do dig those movies, but they're levels that they don't work on. And that's one of them. Yeah. Tarantino referenced so many movies and his characters just saying the titles of so many movies from like two lane blacktop to, Vanishing Point that I was like, God damn it, I wish I was watching Tulane Blacktop or Vanishing Point. <laughs> and that's a that's a tricky thing, man, because it's cool to reference, you know, your influences, but you better be sure you're making something that that's at least as good 
You yeah. know, if if you're going to reference that stuff, don't make somebody think that. And I, I I've recently had an experience where where uh, I was watching something and I was like, you know what? I'd rather just watch this other thing. And I, I I can't remember exactly what it was right now, but but it was exactly what you just said. I was like, you know, if you're going to mention that, you're going to make me go watch it because your thing isn't as good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what, yeah. what was the process of pulling everybody together for that? Because, I mean, it's getting people together is a nightmare. I, I can't even imagine. I've been on one movie set in my life, and just thinking about what goes into that made my head hurt. What, what happened well, with that? Well, I think it was the perfect timing where everyone just really wanted to work together on a project and get excited about it and uh what i lack in directing skills i make up in motivation and getting people together (laughs) (laughs) dude that's critical that's critical because i don't have that at all (laughs) and uh you know once i um you know said look we're gonna shoot this on film everybody got very excited and uh it was it was just magical i mean it and i had structured the script so every day we were doing something really outrageous so you would wake up in the morning and go like holy shit i can't wait to get to the set instead of oh god i'm tired as hell and i got to go on this film set right. <laughs> you know and uh so yeah it was a labor of love for everyone involved in you know, this one's structured the same way. And yeah, I'm so proud of this script. It's it being such a huge film buff of every single genre from film noir to Indonesian flying head movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never seen any movie like what, what I've written. So I am just so excited about it because it'll be something completely different to the horror genre and to the exploitation genre. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. That in and of itself is an accomplishment because I mean, everything now, and I've said this many times during many different, you know, whether it's a podcast or sitting on a panel or or just talking with friends, it really feels like there's nothing new. And and I always say that as a defense, not as a criticism, because we've just, you know, human culture has been around for so long at this point. Storytelling has been around for so long at this point that it's really difficult to actually crack an original concept. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure I'll get, you know, we'll get a lot of heat for it. And people will be like, ah, that was, you know. What the hell was that? But <laughs> exactly. What the hell was that? <laughs> well, and that's, there's a certain value to that too. I mean, because there, you know, the, when you put something out there, and that's another thing, and it sort of goes along with where society's at now. When you do put something new out there, uh, there's this drive from people to sort of attack it and criticize it and be the first guy to point out the thing that's wrong with it. Uh, you know, there's that, there's that weird mentality of being like the critic zero, I guess. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, that the, annoys me to no end. Yeah. There was, uh, the foreign sales agent 
leaked our film accidentally to um, uh, a notorious uh, bootlegger from Pirate Bay. So it got on uh, Pirate Bay and all the torrents right before it came out on DVD. And and, um, so all of a sudden there was like tons of reviews, negative reviews, and they were all people like – you know, whose mentality was, it wasn't a Marvel movie. And I found hysterical because I'm like, well, you weren't supposed to see it to begin with. (laughs) Right. And and you saw it for free and now you're bitching about it. (laughs) Yeah. This, this wasn't aimed at you. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's odd now how things are kind of processed and taken in by by the public and and I mean critics. I it's one thing to discuss stuff, but I, I almost wonder if if we're getting to the point where critics are obsolete and they're trying to be louder because of it. Because now there's so many different ways for the public to take in so many different things. You can find you can find the stuff you want to watch. Like the you know the critics used to be the gateway. Mm-hmm. But they're not anymore. Yeah, and it's it's there's a proliferation of critics too with the internet and and really people who are very well educated <laughs> are kind of gone. Their criticism's gone. So <laughs> You've got more opinion than criticism now. Yes. Which I'm, I'm fine if somebody dislikes what I do if the criticism stands up. But when it's just somebody's opinion, then it's just garbage. And, and, and to be honest, it doesn't even bother me. I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> well, and that's, that's, you know, anytime I'm talking about stuff, I, I always make it very clear that you know, I, I am speaking, this is my personal taste. I like this or I don't like this, not, cause this is what you see now. Oh, this is a piece of shit. Well, no, it's yeah, not. Yeah, right. this sucks. Yeah. No, it's not a piece of shit or it didn't suck. You didn't like it, but that doesn't take value away from it cause you're, you know, you're you. <laughs> Your opinion has no effect on anybody else's liking of this thing, which unfortunately, though, that's not correct because people do tend to sort of flock around the louder voices and, and just take what they say. Yeah, when I was a kid, like, um, you you would read Roger Ebert, and even if he hated a movie, you could tell from his review if it was, you would love it. Right, right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you really can't you can't get that and the opinions are so diverse now but uh yeah so you know as filmmakers we gotta rely on old school bally who in height to get it out there <laughs> which, which is kind of great a lot of fun. yeah yeah because you guys got to do that i mean you traveled everywhere with dear god no what what was that like bringing that around uh, on the the film circuits and stuff oh it was great you know the um film festivals are kind of a rough go because they're so big and you're trying to get your movie seen and it's all 
you know, and you're coming from out of town and you don't know how well it's been promoted. And so those can go either way. But the horror conventions are just phenomenal. And uh, we would always do like some extra ballyhoo anytime we played at a horror convention. And the, my favorite was Cinema Wasteland where um, we the guy, Nick Morgan, who plays Spider in the movie, we he had gotten a plant, a girl in the audience, to uh, put a tampon in a bag of grenadine in her uh, crotch. And, <laughs> And he got up on stage with a jug of liquor and uh, was just like, I smell low tide in this building. You, come up here. And he reached between her legs and pulled out the <laughs> bloody tampon, stuck it in the bottle and swirled it around, took a sip. And the crowd went nuts. And then he handed the bottle to the crowd and they started drinking it. And this was a – we had to turn people away at the screening. Because there's nowhere for them to sit. There's people sitting in the aisles. Oh, that's great. And then halfway through the movie, like everybody was getting rowdy as hell. And Jim the Dragon Kelly, he was still alive at the time and he was a guest there. He was sitting in the front row and he just stands up, turns around, looks at the crowd and goes, This is art, motherfuckers. This is art. And then he sits back down. <laughs> That's an opinion you care about. Yes. And I was like, this is why we do it. <laughs> this is just fantastic. That's man. That's awesome. And, and having, you know, talking about the horror conventions, I mean, that's, that's going to be a fun crowd. That's people who are out to, for a good time. That's people who are out looking for new things. Exactly. Uh, that they're exciting. Man, they and they are so supportive, and I've made so many good friends and connections through those through the horror conventions. Uh, Indianapolis has a just badass horror scene, and uh, yeah, in Cleveland, and oh man, they're in Texas. Oh man, they're just fantastic. Now, did you did you show it in Austin at all? No, no, I sure didn't. Um, I wanted to, I tried to set up a screening because we did some theatrical screenings at, uh, the Alamo Draft House, but they w were only renting it and it was, there was no way to, to even break even. Right, I guess right. so many makers rent it out to like show it to potential distributors or something yeah. is, is their bag. But we had a, a two-week theatrical run in Portland where it went over really well. And then a one-week run in Atlanta that went really well. And uh, let's see, it played in Toronto. It played all over Canada, like London, Toronto, um, uh, Quebec, Montreal. Yeah, it was huge up there. <laughs> That's, um, so at what point, I mean, you said you shot the, uh, the teaser at the end of the Kickstarter page right after you were done yeah. with Dear God No. So you knew you had more story to tell or you knew you wanted to do it again? Yeah. And I wanted to really jump the shark and just go balls out because it, you know, just seeing the fan and crowd reaction, to the first one it was like all right well, you know we gotta 
I'm, I feel part of the community and I really got to really want to, you know, just go balls out and try to get better at what I'm doing and really, you know, add something to the genre. Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be a factor of it now because you did travel around, you did meet all these people and and it's almost at this point kind of be kind of like well, now I know these people, I've got to really blow them away. Like you got to feel almost sort of an obligation at this point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, but, you know, still, we're, ma- I'm making the movie I want to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as selfish as that sounds. Well, but, but those, those I things, know. those things aren't mutually exclusive. I, I think to me, that's the height of creative output is when you're making something that you know you love, that you're making it for yourself, but you also are conscious of like, the audience is going to dig this too. Yeah. Um, not really. I'm the audience digging. It's not really in my mind. It's like, I just am relying on me being a fan, such a fan that I've got to impress myself. (laughs) And, um, we're shooting on 35 millimeter and it's impossible to get 35 millimeter film anymore. And this is left over from a Hollywood production. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm like, man, I'm going to put the best shit I got in me uh, onto this film because I'll most likely never have the chance to shoot on film ever again. And, uh, I've, I've got to impress myself. Right. <laughs> right. That's not, it's not even just. That, that's interesting because it's not just the, the novelty, because unfortunately it is a novelty now to be shooting on 35 millimeter, but the fact that you're using up some of the last of it with your vision, that's got to be a good motivator too. It is. It really is because uh, Kodak has decided they're going to keep making film, but they're going to make it in bulk for pre-order for Hollywood Studios, so... Mm-hmm. So, like, Scorsese, Tarantino, Abrams, they can all get their hands on it. But they're not going to be selling directly to, you know, the public anymore. So, this is it. Because I'm never going to be working for a Hollywood studio. Um, I I don't like cocktail parties, and I can't – and I'm not a phony. <laughs> I can't play that game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that takes it, which that's what it takes to get, you know, a Hollywood movie made. So, I, yeah, this is my last shot at it. And I've always dreamt of shooting on 35 millimeter. And, you know, I've made plenty of 16 millimeter and super eight millimeter films. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going for broke here. I'm going all out to, to backtrack a little bit. Um, because I kind of jumped into Dear God No because I really <laughs> I was excited about talking about that. Um, what what were some of the earlier what was some of the earlier stuff you were shooting on like Super Eight and sixteen millimeter but before you well, did Dear God No? I well I started uh, I had met this dominatrix at the Stein Club when I first moved to Atlanta and I was managing a band. And she needed a cameraman. And so then I got involved in the S&M film industry. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a background. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I don't have any fetishes other than, you know, maybe a chick wearing a cheerleader costume and sure, me banging sure. her to old uh, Led Zeppelin on the hood of a Corvette or something, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, pretty pretty run of the mill, boring, I guess. But right. no, uh, no, no ball stomping or anything. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> So it's kind of thrust in, no pun intended, into this world. <laughs> and uh, started shooting loops for some guys in Chicago that would just send diagrams of how they wanted girls dressed like secretaries tied up and what kind of knots to use and all this garbage. Wow. Uh, yeah, they paid really well. And... From that, I started shooting um, features for Harmony Concepts out of San Francisco. And then they got frustrated with me because my stuff was too artsy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That I was spending too much time on the lighting schemes and uh, the setups and stuff. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so from there, you know, I was playing around with some Super 8 cameras and then just started volunteering over at Georgia State to work on anybody's films and helping them out with 16 millimeter films and then did some shorts and uh, got a bunch of people together from there and uh, we made Dumpster Baby, <laughs> and uh, which was a piece of shit, but still it was a good <laughs> learning experience. <laughs> And yeah, so, oh man, so uh, yeah, then I, the S&M stuff, man, that made me a lot of money <laughs> and it allowed me to get a lot of gear and uh, learn how to edit. And so it was a good training ground because, you know, I was shooting like a feature in two weeks from conception to turning it over to the distributor. Wow. Yeah, but you know, half a, you know, 90% of it's girls just trying to get out of knots and stuff. So it's not that impressed. <laughs> but all of that, anything that you, you're going to do, you know, early years like that, there's going to be stuff that, that, uh, it, it, you're going to learn from everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was just a really good learning experience. Um, you know, and, yeah, I'm I'm just still in love with film. Um, Georgia Southern, I was a photography major, so you know it's just kind of in my blood. Right, right. Just framing it out and finding the right angle, and and just love the whole process, how hands on it is, and you know, like a lot of people when you watch Dear God, no, I, you know. Jonathan Hilton's running that camera or, and we're doing like when we're doing the scene around the, um, dinner table and on the lens, we've got two pieces of tape with all kinds of numbers marked up that have to sync together to keep the thing in focus. Mm-hmm. And so another guy, Dave Osborne's basically riding piggyback on him, dialing in every single time the camera moves to a certain point to keep the actor in focus and like nowadays you don't have to do that shit with digital cameras yeah i love that just the hands-on craft you know aspect of that and just the sound of the camera running and having to you know 
stop every 10 minutes to change mags and it's just it just feels like you have a connection to the past that isn't really present with uh shooting digitally well and it sounds like it's just a more you're more involved directly with the process of shooting yes yeah and like dear god no was our budget was so low and I was so stubborn about shooting on film that, you know, for uh, our ratio was like 1.5 to 1. So pretty much everything that we shot ended up in the movie unless it was a blown take, you know. Right. <laughs> and we tried to keep those to a minimum. I just <laughs> and so, I mean, the actors probably hate me because it wasn't a matter of like, oh, man, I can do that better. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, we used, you know, <laughs> right, right. 100 the film we gotta move on to the next shot <laughs> but but even that there's an authenticity too because it is uh, you're, you're getting you know that's that's what they put out there they, they don't get to sit around and refine it and give it the best you know okay here are five different cuts this is the one that I like the best this is the one that works the best for the movie this is the one you know it's just that's what was put out there yeah. Like the, there's kind of a nice feel to that too. Yeah. And the acting will be better in Frankenstein credit bikers. Cause we'll be, have a four to one ratio. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, you know, everybody's, everybody's done it. They've lived in this world before. Like yeah. there, there's going to be that sort of stepping back into, to, to form, if not necessarily character, which I, I, uh, on the one hand, I'm dying to know how this is going to, cause it's, it's a, I guess an indirect sequel. How, how, how is, what's the connective tissue aside from just, you know, you guys? Well, um, I actually today, uh, through dailygrindhouse.com put up the first 10 pages of the script. Oh, wow. Yeah, so anybody can go download from grindhouse.com the first 10 pages. And then, because my idea was, I'm so proud of this that, and I want everybody to be a part of it, that read the first 10 pages and decide for yourself if you want to invest in this Kickstarter campaign. Right, right. And, uh, all <laughs> the answer to your question is there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, like part of me wants to know everything I can know, but also part of me wants to just sit down and just watch it and not know anything. Right. Like it, there's, it's, it's a fight now to go in like the new Star Wars that's coming out. I don't want to know anything about it. I want to go in, sit down and watch it. And if it's great, it's great. If it sucks, it sucks. Yeah. I'm totally with you on Star Wars. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, but uh, I don't want to know anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I like for the most part with movies, I try to avoid watching trailers. If like if it's something that I'm fairly confident that I like cuz now, you know, I'm 38 years old, I pretty much know what I want to see and what I don't with a few exceptions of things that might surprise me, but like if it's something I know I want to see, I don't watch commercials, I don't watch the trailers for it, I don't look online, like I don't follow the fucking facebook page because you know they're gonna spoil stuff because <laughs> when, when i 
when I see a movie, I want it to be like when I went and saw Wrath of Khan in the movie theater with my mom back in the day. I didn't know anything other than it was a Star Trek movie. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know anything. I sat down, watched it, and it blew me away. And the, the yeah, best. And you hope like hell that it was better than the first one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The motionless picture. Um, yeah, I remember me and my father sitting there watching that. We just kept looking at each other like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And see that most of the best movie experiences I've had have been when I've gone in not knowing anything and the movie has told the story as opposed to like ads or trailers or whatever else. Yeah, you know what's wild is when you do that, too. I, like, so many times you'll be like, that was really good. And then you uh, go to find out more about it, and you find out that everybody hates it. <laughs> yeah, and see, that's another thing is as much as I like to think that I'm sort of invulnerable to public opinion, there yeah. is that, you know, when everybody loves something or when everybody hates something – there's no way around the fact that that's going to affect you. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how how many movies you've seen or how cool you are. If everybody in the world is saying, man, this movie is amazing, then you're going in expecting something. And I like to go in just, you know, with, with as little expectation as I can have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, looking at the Kickstarter page, you guys have, I I would say some of the most reasonable and realistic rewards that I've seen because a lot of Kickstarter stuff is like you don't get good stuff until you get to to what I feel like is above average Joe prices. Well, you know, with Dear God Know, we self-distributed it. So basically that's what we're doing right now is I'm not going to go with a distributor because – they are just going to screw you over. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's basically like pre-selling it, and then we'll take it to the American film market or cans and try to sell the foreign territories to recoup a lot of the cost, but um, and hopefully make you know another movie. But it's you know you're dealing directly with the filmmaker, so it's like. We know what the bottom line on this stuff is, and yeah, so you know we're not marking anything up, and we're just trying to give people the most bang for their buck because we really want to make this. Well, and that's it's apparent just from without even like knowing the guys that I know, without even talking to you, just looking at this page, it's very clear that you guys have a vision, that you guys are into it, and that oh you, yeah, and that you know. <laughs> Like you, you have a sense of we know what we're playing to, and we know what we're dealing with. Like, because just looking immediately, I had trouble figuring out which which backing I wanted to do, and that doesn't ever happen. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you guys have, of course, the uh, the screen credit, which is always cool, you know, supported by. But then you've got two different levels of that. You've got. Uh, Blu-rays of Dear God No and of Frankenstein Created Bikers. Uh, you've got online viewings, which you can. That one's a super low level to see the uh, special online screening. Yeah, I mean it should be. It's like you're basically doing it all on demand. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, and and that's 
Like, I feel like you, you set out some really reasonable and some really exciting stuff. And then once you get up into like the, the collector, the enthusiast type stuff, you've got props from the movie, you've got, uh, one sheets, uh, a lot of signed stuff. Just, I, I think you did a good job with figuring out what the reward should be and, and what's going to be appealing to people. Well, thank you very much. The one I'm really excited is, um, we cast, uh, Tristan Risk from American Mary and she's just fantastic. And she's like an international burlesque performer. And, uh, this was her idea. She's offered, we're, we've got one scene with her where she plays this just badass, um, character kind of like Tura Satana and Faster Pussycat Kill Kill mm-hmm. and she just hates men, hates cops loves blowing up cops <laughs> and, and uh, it takes place in a strip club and she's not one of the strippers but uh, she suggested since we're shooting that scene that after we wrap for the day she'll do a burlesque performance and dedicate it to you know, anybody for 300 bucks oh, as a great. Kick, as a Kickstarter reward. So she'll be like, you know, um, Hey Bob, uh, happy birthday. You know, <laughs> this is for you or, or, uh, you know, whatever you want. And, um, I was like, man, that's a crazy idea. So then we were like, well, let's sweeten the deal. Let's throw in a poster, a Blu-ray, you know, and we'll have her sign them and, I mean, where else could you get like your own personal burlesque video by one, uh, you know, one of the biggest names in burlesque for $300? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's, I'm looking at it right now, the VIP lounge, your own private yes. burlesque video on DVD by Tristan Risk. And then, and then, yeah. And, you know, not only that, but you get the, uh, producers like to thank credit. Um, you get the theatrical one sheet and the Blu-ray. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. And it's definitely a unique thing. Like that's not, you're not going to get that anywhere else. Yeah. I've never seen that on Kickstarter and this is all her idea. I thought it was just brilliant. And that's, that's how, after reading the script, she's just like, she's so enthusiastic and wants to play this character so bad. And, you know, we want to see her play it so bad that, uh, she's just, she's fantastic. And she just came up with that reward herself. And, uh, man, it just, ah, meet some of the just most dedicated badass people out there. <laughs> you know, she's, she's one of us, man. She quotes, uh, Switchblade Sisters and she's just a really cool chick. So the the Kickstarter's running through March 28th right now. Yeah. Uh, and everybody, I, I highly encourage everybody to go to Kickstarter and check it out. Uh, Frankenstein created bikers. When, what, what schedule wise, what are you looking at? We are trying to shoot at the beginning of May, 2015. Okay. And, uh, we've already got some sets built and, uh, uh, I've got the script broken down and, um, I'm actually so, I really hope we meet this Kickstarter goal cause I'm already scheduling the days and what we're shooting. Right, right. <laughs> well, you kind of have to, I mean, you, yeah. that's, I think that's 
that's sort of the the double-edged sword of of this new crowdfunding thing that's happening is you know it's great because you can go directly to your your potential audience but at the same time you kind of have to plan like it's totally going to happen yeah and we're also in a race against um the 35 millimeter film development company in town shutting down oh gosh and the uh telecine transfer houses where you convert the 35 millimeter to digital mm-hmm. them shutting down because nobody's shooting film anymore and they're not even getting work for like hollywood dailies or anything so we're kind of on a race to get this in the can before all that goes away <laughs> well i i for one I'm a hundred percent behind you. I'm very excited about this. I mean, I, I, I never imagined I would get to see more from the dear God, no world, I guess. Yeah. And now we're expanding on it. So it's, it's going to be insane. It's almost like now that you know, the dear God, no world it's going to get so strange and surreal because you're living in it's a world of, where anything can happen and it's just B movie stock characters that slowly get more and more complex and less stock. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, I can't wait to make this. This is going to be so awesome. Well, and see, that's, that, that's the best possible thing that you could hear, you know, like it's, it's not, yeah, we're going to do this and this. It's you're just stoked. You're just like, yeah, man. Let's do it. <laughs> oh yeah, like it, it's I'm so excited. Like in the we started off like a universal monster movie, like the beginning of one, and it kind of goes into like a Hammer vibe, and then it turns into like a Mario Bava vibe, then a slasher uh kind of grindhouse vibe, and then into like more of the modern horror and then it goes completely off the rails and that's within like the first 10 minutes of the movie (laughs) (laughs) that that sounds absolutely fantastic and so we just kind of we're like yeah we're we're and we're not doing it like you know look how clever we are we're just like yeah we know horror and we're taking this thing to a whole nother direction right Right. This is, it's not, it's not a wink wink. It's a, this is what we love. This is what we want to do. You got it. Well, awesome. James, thank you so much for coming on, man. Are there any last things you want to mention? Any, any, uh, last little bits of details or anything? Oh, no. Just, uh, I mean, keep supporting indie horror. There's, uh, so many good, hardworking directors out there. Uh, Stephen Biro, uh, um, Brian Williams, um, uh, man, there's a movie out now called Headless that I'm hearing just fantastic things about. And, uh, one called Hunters that people need to check out and just, you know, keep it alive because there's a lot of people out there just doing what they love and don't really give a damn about, uh, you know, the bottom line and trying to become part of the Hollywood machine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's another interesting thing that's happening is, you know, how much longer can Hollywood, that, that machine last, 
with yeah. with independent distribution now and how easy it is to well I guess easy is not the word uh h- how much easier it's becoming to distribute directly to your audience and not have to go through that that mess out there Oh yeah two Marvel film bombs in a row could just totally destroy the whole studio system <laughs> Right and and that's that's crazy that it's gotten to that point and believe me i don't want that to happen i i love those marvel movies man right, but, uh, right. i'm not wishing ill will on towards anybody i'm just saying that oh yeah, the yeah amount of money they've got invested in these things now is just it's it's mind-boggling yeah yeah <laughs> and the, the fact that it has become so dependent upon so few things is is crazy and so few styles of things because if if one certain genre or style or whatever is a success then all of a sudden that's everybody wants to do that it, it's yeah. not it's not a matter of here's a great idea it's a matter of well is that idea like this other idea that made a bunch of money yeah it's it's it's, it's definitely there's that pitch where you have to say you know, you have to combine two films and say, well, it's, you know, Evil Dead meets Three Stooges or something right. like that. It's like know? The Godfather, but in space. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's all any, That's all they want to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, we can all rest assured that Frankenstein Created Bikers is nothing like any of that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, awesome. It's like getting a greeting card in hell. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking to you, man. And uh, I, thank you. I can't wait to see the movie, and I, I've I've got so much confidence in you guys and what you're going to be doing. Oh man, we're we're going to make ourselves proud, and hopefully everybody else will be proud too. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. Uh, thank you. You guys, I seriously can't wait for this movie. Uh, supposedly, it'll be out by the end of the year. I, I really hope so. And I mean, these guys are serious. They have a schedule. They have. They know what they're doing. So, you know, the, you don't have to have the normal Kickstarter concerns about. Oh, they're going to be delays. Are they going to be? No, 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 no. If you go in, you can look at their rewards. Frankenstein created bikers on Kickstarter and you'll whatever's on there is what you're going to get and when you're going to get it yeah you don't have to worry about that stuff and as of right now they're at like 80 percent so go over there and find yourself some cool rewards they've got some great great stuff on there like totally uh, i wasn't just blowing smoke up his ass they've got some of the most realistic prize or not prizes rewards that i've seen like oh this this is worth this amount of money i agree with that uh, to the point where it actually pushed me to spend a little bit more than I'd planned because it was, I felt like I was getting such a good deal for the amount of money I contributed. So go check it out and go buy Dear God No. If you're a fan of really fucked up movies. If you're not, don't. But go to Amazon, uh, go to the Needless Things Amazon store, which you can find through needlessthingssite.com and, uh, buy yourself a copy. It's, it's really fucking nuts. And my pal Jim Stacy plays Bigfoot. So there's that too. That's about all I got for you. Remember, you can find the Needless Things podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, NeedlessThingsSite.com, and ESOPodcast.com. 
And we'll be back very, very soon with more. I think the next episode to go up is me and Gary Mitchell talking about Leonard Nimoy, which we had not planned to do. We had planned to do a Star Trek episode, but unfortunately, sometimes that's how things happen. I love you guys. 